Hello, this is Angelica Yingst, and you're listening to Centered, Grounded Conversations About the Metaphysical. Blessed June, y'all. It's Angelica Yingst, and I'm here with your tarot, earth medicine, and sky medicine reading for June. So are y'all ready for summer? It's bloody hot here already in Pennsylvania. Uh, Are you ready for the solar masculine? Let's get this done, people. Yep. We are moving into solar summer. And a number of years ago, many, many years ago, I was training for a century bike ride, which is a hundred mile bike ride. And I was training. I was visiting my mom. So I got home from a training ride and I was kind of sitting on her back porch and drinking water and I was listening to the birds and there was one really loud bird call that caught my ear and so I said to my mother hey that bird is saying do it do it do it do it (laughs) and it's like she's telling me I can do it that I can do the bike ride and she started laughing and said yeah to me she's just saying owie 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 which was funny because you know that's how my mom thought of my hundred mile ride like why are you doing this this must hurt Um, And I was just like, do it, do it, do it, do it. And it's funny because I have never heard a bird say, do it, do it, do it, do it again. But I just want to say June is a month where the birds are going to be saying, do it, do it, do it, do it for you. (laughs) Because that's the energy that we have walking into June. Now, we have had a fairly low-key Gemini season. And that's because Jupiter is in Taurus. And Taurus is like an earthy, grounded cuddle monster. And so being present and savoring the sensory or sensual experience of the present moment is part of what makes Taurus really amazing. And so with Jupiter and Taurus, you know, we're just kind of honoring the journey we're on, you know, wherever we are. And so Gemini has a reputation for kind of flightiness. It's a mutable air sign. So it moves from one place to another quickly. But with Taurus, it kind of is bringing that energy into a more grounded place. So it's, it's really ideal. So as we start June, we're kind of moving straight into a full moon in Sagittarius on June 3rd. So Sagittarius is a mutable fire sign. So it's very movable and transformative. It's active, it's fiery, it's creative, it's energetic, it's optimistic, you know, it's adventurous and maybe like a little unapologetically wild And that's fun, you know, because when we just get to be our wild self, that is really us letting our inner child play, letting our inner adventure play, uh, not getting too caught in anxiety and and talking ourselves out of things. So, um, you know, in its most difficult moments, we can be quick to melt down, which I did this morning. I'm embarrassed to say. But, uh, you know, it can be a little volatile. And so we can be back and forth and back and forth. And you may have been feeling this like, you know, I'm not recording this on the full moon. So just knowing that, you know, as we move into these lunations, we sometimes start to feel that energy coming up. And sometimes by the time the lunation gets here, like the full moon gets here, we're not even there anymore. So just know that. But Sagittarius brings our dreams into reality and that helps us kind of manifest that by doing the work that we have to do for it. So if you have been 
feeling like you have this idea that's sort of been percolating along, you know, this is the time, this full moon is the time to sort of act on it. So full moons are the time when the moon is obviously ready to give birth, but it's like the mother part of the moon cycle. The belly is full. It's just about to give birth. So it's really an opportunity to start reprioritizing your life. And that's one of the things that we don't talk about a lot. Like, you know, when we're about to give birth, if you have a uterus or you have had a baby, you know, it just sort of like, okay, we're not going to be able to go to this party. We're not going to be able to do this thing. We're not going to be able to spend extra money. We're not going to be, it reprioritizes everything because you have this goal coming and everything is about taking care of and nurturing that goal. So at the full moon, we're kind of, the belly's full, but we haven't birthed yet necessarily. So you're kind of thinking like, how can I get ready to have this come into being? Okay, and we'll talk about that, the full moon reading, if you do my full moon readings. Uh, but really it is a time to release, jettison anything not serving your highest good, your goals, your intentions, your desires, the thing that you're making space for in your life. So just reevaluate what's important to you and then move forward. On the 5th of June, um, Venus moves into Leo, which is awesome. So Venus is the planet of love and relationships. It's going to be in Leo for four months, which is a little longer than normal. Why? Because you are going to get a retrograde from July 22nd to September 3rd. When a planet is in retrograde. Say a planet moves through a sign like for three months or something. Uh, if it's retrograde, now you're slowing down, right? It's basically standing still. So it's going to stay in the same constellation for longer, which is why we have an extended dance remix of Venus and Leo. So Venus loves to glam it up. Venus loves to be adored. And I just want to sing that Stone Roses song, I Want to Be Adored. I want to be adored. Okay, so that is your mantra in your relationships, you know. We can adore others, but we can also, like, demand that we be adored a little bit. Um, and so, you know, I think this is a time to really enjoy Venus and Leo. Um, Venus and Leo loves to, like, go out on dates. It loves to get glammed up. It loves to be like in that lovey romance part where someone just like has the dreamy eyes and they look at you in that way. Um, Cause you know, when Venus goes retrograde in Leo on the 22nd of July, which you know is a month and a half, um, it kind of shakes up relationships, right? And Leo can be a little self-absorbed and I don't mean to insult any Leos, um, so when that happens, what we're really thinking is, okay, you know, it's all about me. And so when it goes retrograde, we have to think about the other people. So strengthen your relationships, have that romance now, build that foundation so that when Venus goes into retrograde, we don't feel like swept off our feet at all. Okay. On June 11th, uh, Pluto retrograde starts in Capricorn. So Pluto has been retrograde since May 1st, and it goes until October 10th. And it's been in Aquarius, where it's going to be for like 20 years. So it is right now just like because, again, when we retrograde, we go back. So we're going, looks like it goes backwards. It's going through Capricorn now. 
again. It's been in Capricorn for a long, long time. So that means we're kind of looking at what was happening at the end of March, um, because that's like the cycle that's coming forward again. It's transformative. Um, it's kind of closure that we needed from the work that we did with Pluto in Capricorn for all those years. And, you know, Capricorn is ruled by Saturn. So we're kind of looking at finances, structures, power. We look at all those things and we end up needing to like walk into leadership roles during that time. So think about, you know, what you've been dealing with in the last 20 years or whatever, when Pluto has been in Capricorn and then think about like, okay, now where's the closure? What did I need to learn there? I know for me, you know, a lot of what I've been unwinding, what has been causing meltdowns is workaholism and taking on too much and doing too much. So, you know, one of the things I'm going to be working on during this Pluto retrograde period, starting June 11th, you know, is really me looking at how do, how am I going to build a life balance if I'm not putting structures in place for that? Like I really need those boundaries and structures so I don't overwork. I don't overcommit. I don't overdo. So, you know, on June 11th also, Mercury is in Gemini. So this is a really good time to have clear communication and really talking about um, what you need to talk about figuring things out. So Saturn retrograde in Pisces begins on June 17th. And again, that is sort of asking you to reevaluate relationships. There's a new moon in Gemini on the 18th of June. And so this is another great time for dialogues and talking. And, you know, this is our new moon in Gemini. So when we have uh, that kind of internal time with our communication style, we want to kind of create some new uh, language around our intentions. So if you've been setting intentions and I was literally just talking to my bestie about this this morning, it's like, you know, sometimes we set intentions on things and they're just not happening. And it's like, what did I say wrong here? Like there's some part of this I need to tweak. So sometimes it's just about taking everything down, starting over. Like for me, it's gritting, you know, for her, it's altars for other people. It's like, you know, spell work or whatever you're doing, just kind of taking everything down and reevaluating how did I say this? And is this actually what I want? Do I have too many intentions, which is, I think, what happened with my grid? So we're kind of talking about that. And then, you know, right after June 18th, the sun goes into Cancer on June 21st, which is the same day as the solstice. And so the solstice is when the sun reaches its peak height in the northern hemisphere before beginning its descent. So as we enjoy this long daylight day in the northern hemisphere, our southern hemisphere friends are enjoying uh, winter solstice. So the sun is kind of at its smallest time down in the south. So um, but the, the truth is the sun also appears to have be at a standstill in the sky for about three days. And during those three days during solstices, it's important to kind of pause and just like understand we are in our radiance and we are in that solar power. And so in astrology, the sun always represents your identity. Okay. So 
when we kind of hit those solar points, June is one of them, we can really touch base with who am I right now? Like, what do I need? What do I want? What has this life been like? We're, you know, six months basically through the year. Um, and so we kind of come home um, to ourselves in some ways. So um, this is a really good time to do that work right around the solstice. Um, and I really like to do stuff like, you know, do a new vision board, a smaller vision board for the second half of the year, kind of looking at what my vision board did at the beginning and how it's come to be and, and kind of reevaluate things. So we move then into the end of the month. Um, so on June 30th, Neptune retrograde begins, and that's going into Pisces, which is basically an intuitive watery sign, and Neptune is watery. So these two, um, <laughs> these two are kind of going to be uh, like Saturn, sorry, is, is retrograde in Pisces and Neptune is retrograde in Pisces. So, um, you know, all of that will just be about understanding our emotional transformations and also like the structures, our boundaries, how we, uh, when we need to, to walk past them, when we need to, to walk into them, when we need to strengthen them, all of those kind of things. So, you know, uh, Saturn is always our boundary keeper. So being retrograde can be hard because sometimes we feel like, okay, I, I have nothing. I have no structures, which is both good and bad. And Pisces doesn't really like structure. So um, I think you'll find it a little easier than say, you know, Saturn retrograde in Capricorn. That would be difficult. So um, let's talk about our tarot for the month. So I pulled the Hermit, which is such a, interesting card to get. I mean, it's very lunar, you know, it's a nighttime card and, and the hermit definitely is carrying this Merkabah light. Um, but the hermit is a really solitary figure and it's really one of the most recognizable archetypes of the tarot, which is the wise man. And, you know, the hermit appears in many cultures and many religions and some kind of think that Pixie Smith might have based this hermit on Merlin, but, um, you know, we have a hermetic archetype that searches for enlightenment and that transcends religion, place, story. You know, it doesn't have to be Merlin. It can be the monks joining silent orders and secluding themselves in a monastery or the Buddha who went into the woods as an ascetic and uh, renounced all of his wealth and, you know, didn't eat. And, and Jesus who went to the desert for 40 days and other Others see him as Moses coming back from the mountain with the tablets or the shaman who leaves the community for many days to get visions. And in Australia, they call it a walkabout and some Native American tribes, a vision quest. But it really is a time when we go out into the wilderness and face our fears. And so the hermit represents all of that. You know, they are the one seeking enlightenment. Okay. And so when we work with the hermit, what we really are working with is this, how do we face our fears? You know, how do we face our demons? How do we face ourselves in the dark? And that's what the hermit does. He goes out, not necessarily to like go meet someone or something else, but to meet himself, 
Okay. So you can even say, and I think Rachel Pollack said in her book, even therapy could be considered a modern hermit experience because we leave regular society for an hour and go through the process of self-discovery with a guide, you know? So whenever the hermit comes up, we are asking ourselves, you know, am I ready to be a teacher or am I ready to find a teacher? And so when we connect with our inner hermit, we also connect with our time to be alone, to journey, to study, to, to explore our own beliefs, and we shine a light in the darkness. So one of the things about the hermit is he goes away and in seclusion for spiritual enlightenment. So um, we talk about finding the mysteries of the universe, the infinite, the elements, when we talk about the hermit. There's wisdom, knowledge, intuition. So the card represents the spiritual quest. So a phrase that I find really helpful when I'm thinking of this is, um, you know, when we're kind of coming into it, it's like, who am I? All right. When we go through the hero's journey, basically of the fool, the fool's journey, this is the part of the journey where the fool leaves the egoic concerns, like the, you know, here are my parents, here's my school, here's my relationship. I'm going to go conquer things. He kind of has the strength to go out into the world and basically say, I am renouncing worldly things and I'm going to figure out who I am. So, you know, the hermit wrestles with this. Okay. There's this quote that says, it's easy to be a holy man on top of a mountain. And what that means is it's, you know, when we renounce everything, we have to be alone with the self. And once we learn how to do that, the warning is don't be so isolated that you can't then connect with other people. You know, if we're cut off from distractions and irritants of life, that makes it easier to have that spiritual experience. There are times we need that, but then we need to reintegrate into life. So we absorb learning through meditation, prayer, books, reading, writing, opening to spirit. But it is kind of when we interact with the other messy, imperfect, complicated humans that our spirituality really rises out of us. So it's a way that we practice our spiritual wellness is interacting with others. So the hermit kind of is in a completion cycle of solitude. He's learned all he can in the woods by himself. He's got that long beard, meaning he hasn't shaved or had to see another person for a while. So when he comes back, when we get this card, it's about that cycle is complete of having found some spiritual enlightenment. And now he needs to, you know, practice it in his daily life. So it is really about humility of basically coming down from the mountain, say either I need more teaching or I need to learn how to do this in practice, okay? So wisdom really is having the humility to know you know, know enough, you know? And so one of the things about um, the hermit that I really love is this, it's this quote from Pema Chodron, and I always apply it to the hermit because, you know, what she said is if we learn to open our hearts, anyone including the people who drive us crazy can be our teacher because this epitomizes the card of the hermit. We, we don't always learn from the wisest person in the room. 
we cannot always assume that our teachers are the person standing in front of the room. Sometimes they're there to teach us how to do things. And sometimes they're there to teach us how not to do things. And sometimes they provoke a resentment and teach us where we need to do work. So when we see resistance rise up in us and our spiritual practices and principles challenged, it makes us uncomfortable and upset and unsure. These are ways of teaching and learning. If we allow ourselves to get curious, then that person can become the greatest teacher we have. So the hermit is ultimately getting curious about yourself and your spiritual practice, but also having a challenge to them, you know. So do they work in real life is the real question, you know. It's really easy to have those, like, it's, like I said, it's really easy to be a holy man on the mountain. It's really easy to have these spiritual beliefs when you don't have anything around to distract you. You know, uh, and, you know, one thing Pema Chodron talks about is, you know, when we have that person that annoys us, that's the, you know, real test of our spiritual condition. So I'm going to link this, you know, little video she created called The Troublemakers in the show notes. But basically what she's talking about in that is this concept in Buddhism called Shenpa, which is a little difficult to describe. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to quote her a little bit. But this is really your hookable places. So Buddhism teaches there's like pain that's inevitable, right? The pain of illness or injury or growing old or being separated from someone we love or, you know, all of those things that we know, they cause pain. But suffering is something different. And Buddhism explains how to get rid of suffering and says, you know, we're still going to get, we're still going to get sick. We're still going to get hurt. We're still going to die. We're still going to be separated, but we can learn to work with the suffering by stopping the momentum of Shempa. Okay. So Shempa is the idea that when someone says a mean word to you and then something in you tightens and wants to yell back or hit back, that's the Shempa. Okay. It means that you begin to spiral and your head basically is the one that falls into the trap of telling you why you deserve or do not deserve that. So then Shempa becomes that spiral of low self-esteem, of blaming, of anger, of um, feeling bad about yourself. It is um, where, sh where addiction comes from because addictions go right into covering that bad feeling when someone is mean to us. So, um, you know, when we hit a Shempa, it's basically like someone's criticizing you. They're criticizing your work. They're criticizing your parents. They're criticizing your parenting or your house or your car, or how you, uh, you know, how you, how your child looks or whatever. Shempa is almost always coming with that because, you know, the Shempa is the place where we are hookable. So basically, Pema Chodron says the job of the spiritual friend is to insult you because in order for you to become a loving person, a flexible person, you have to see where your triggers are. Where are you hookable? You have to see where your Shempa arises so that you can work with it. And so, so much of the major arcana in the Tarot is about our spiritual condition and the journey with Shempa is really 
epitomized by the hermit. You know, we learn all this stuff. We learn all this book stuff about spirituality, but it isn't until someone gets your hookable place, your, hits that shempa rises in you, that you can really go like, oh man, okay, this is, this is what I need. I need to see that I'm hookable here. So, you know, when we think of the hermit, we don't necessarily think of this, but they have been studying and practicing their spirituality away from people. And so they come down from the mountain now and practice it. And so, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't say this is also sometimes a place where you're at a crossroads where you've been working with the teacher or, you know, you need a teacher. You've done as much as you can either way. You know, you either need a new teacher or you're leaving your teacher and moving into a new place. You're at a crossroads. It can also be about being physically alone, emotionally alone, mentally alone, spiritually alone. It is a solitary card. So some people ask if it means loneliness. It can, but, you know, generally it's the aloneness, okay? So we don't want to be alone because we're isolating. But sometimes being alone is the thing we need for enlightenment. So there is a fine line to walk with the hermit. So when we move through this month, we are really wrestling with those hermit-like issues of aloneness and shempa. So, you know, I kind of pulled some earth medicine to deal with this. And, you know, what would be a great ally here? And, and our first plant medicine is rosemary. So rosemary has a really long tradition of being planted for protection, almost like a sentinel in front of your house. So it is good for cleansing. It's good for love and awakening. It's good for protection work. It is really important as an ally for being present, okay? So it helps you remember uh, to be where you are, and it also helps you stay present in your body. So if you're prone to dissociation, hand raised over here, um, rosemary is very grounding and strong, and it's an ally for feeling overwhelmed. So rosemary is a gift to those who have had soul loss, who dissociate, um, and that might sound like it not, doesn't apply to you. So just notice that uh, what is it that you do when you're stressed? Um, and this is, you know, might be your dissociative coping skills, solitaire on your phone, drinking, drugging, uh, pimple popping videos, you know, whatever it is that keeps you not present uh, when you're doing that hundred yard stare and you're totally dissociated, you're not here, you're not there, um, Rosemary helps you get back into your body. So you can use rosemary for cooking, rosemary in medicine bundles, rosemary to burn, rosemary as an incense. I mean, rosemary is just such a versatile um, ally. So really a great one. Now, the herb, the plants, uh, the plant we got, you know, rosemary is abundant right now. So if you, you're growing herbs, it's a great time to start your rosemary plant. So we'll move into crystals, and we got three crystals. So I, I pulled bloodstone, rose quartz, and ruby. And I think they're really great together. So bloodstone, you know, first of all, bloodstone is called heliotrope. And it used to be considered like one of the most beautiful jaspers. It's very earthy green, but then has a spots of like red, blood red kind of spots all over it. Um, it was called the sunstone first, and then it got changed. Um, and later it's called Christstone. Um, but now it's called bloodstone. And the reason we call it bloodstone is because of Jesus and the blood wounds 
Um, so a lot of people think this is like kind of like stigmata or whatever. Another version sort of um, kind of makes it that Christ's blood fell onto the ground and that's where bloodstone came from. But it really is just it's used um, traditionally for blood, for blood work, for, you know, you use it for anything in the blood. So infection, um, you know, any of the internal organs. It's really a, a wonderful physical ally, too, when you're healing physical issues. But bloodstone is often considered um, a good health stone, a long life stone. It brings good fortune, good respect, riches, fame, all those things. Um, it's used, again, like I said, for detoxification, for blood work. Um, and that goes all the way back to Mesopotamia. Um, and it was used in water to stop the flow of blood and cure any wound uh, through coagulation. So it was often mixed with honey and it was spread on tumors to draw out snake venom, all that kind of stuff. It was really used physically. Um, but like I said, it's used as a stone of good health and good fortune. So it can be very helpful when you're going through ascension um, just to kind of ground and bring your body back in. So again, when you go through ascension sim symptoms, we can sometimes dissociate. And that's where bloodstone will be helpful again, you know, with that dissociation. So, um, so it's really a lovely stone to be working with. It, it adds a lot of vitality. It works with the root chakra and physical energy. So um, super supportive and very helpful if you're going through exhaustion and fatigue. Now, rose quartz is our second stone, and um, it's all about love, 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 self-love, divine love, romantic love, parental love, forgiveness, friendship, compassion, familial love. When I pulled it, the cards I used this time, the uh, the Crystal Forests deck, um, they, they use compassion with rose quartz, and I love that. Um, so rose quartz is a member of the quartz family, which is, shouldn't be surprising. It has a most hardness about 7, 7.5. And it's great for anything with the heart chakra. So healing the heart, heartbreak, wounds, dealing with trauma, loss, love. Um, it helps with boundaries. It helps with trust. It helps with self-centeredness. It really calls in radical compassion and radical self-compassion. So really helpful and it helps with um, some of the physical stuff in the heart. Um, so love rose quartz for this month um and our next stone is ruby so ruby is one of the main gemstones that are used in lapidary work and in um you know making uh jewelry so ruby is a corundum which is a, an aluminum oxide it rates nine on the most hardness scale so it's really just under diamond in terms of hardness and that's part of the reason it's one of the four main precious gemstones because it can be cut and faceted really nicely it's very protective we used to um put it in uh what do you call it armor um inside armor to protect knights that went off to battle it has a hexagonal system so it's very cool looking too and like i said it's, it's super protective and that's a wonderful part of its medicine. Um, rubies also have like a really strong life force energy and they give a lot of energy, life and love. So they kind of bridge, I would say the bloodstone and the rose quartz. They kind of are that 
grounded, rooty stone that activates the heart chakra. They're good fortune stone. They work with strengthening the heart muscles and ventricles. And like I said, they really are so powerful. Um, they help the heart, like I said, um, and they help with passion and sexual dysfunction. So really great for that as well. Um, so our animal medicine is not an earthy animal, but a animal of the sky. So we're going to be working with hawk this month. Um, in nearly all cultures, hawk is a visionary. And uh, hawk has the amazing energy of um, the air. So there are more than 270 species of hawk in the world. Um, and red-tailed hawk is the most abundant in North America. Hawk is a sacred messenger and the connection between spirit and humans. So the ancient Romans thought the souls of emperors transformed into hawks. And in ancient Egypt, Charon, the C-H-A-R-O-N, the hawk-headed god, was responsible for taking souls across the river Styx. So the Valkyries and Norse religion transformed into hawks and um in celtic society hawk was the deliverer of messages for healing and health um but you know as we look at all of them you know hawk is definitely a, a messenger and a visionary um and part of that is that hawk's vision is literally eight times better than humans and it um flies very high and can spot little changes in the environment so um hawk remains one of those really amazing guides for those who live in areas with um, large red-tailed hawk populations. You might see them all the time and go like, oh, I bet everybody has hawk as a guide. But I do think that hawk can be a really important guide, especially if you see like three hawks or two sitting together or three sitting together. That can be very auspicious for those of us who are curious about which animal medicine we should be working with. Um, you know, the red tail is symbolic in Hawk's medicine. It has that grounding while going high. And I think you can kind of see that in the stones that we're using too. There's a kind of groundedness, but then we work with ascension. So Hawk's association is with the root chakra, with the crown. Um, it really helps with visioning. And Hawk is the guide for looking deep into uh, different realms and all of that. So... Um, I already have recorded a journey with hawks, so I hope you enjoy it. If, if the quality is bad or something, just let me know. I can re-record. But hawk reminds us that uh, we're really meant to soar and we're really meant to um, do more than simply like sit in fear. We're supposed to fly high and, and rise above. So it's lovely. And, you know, hawk is solar masculine and owl is divine feminine so if you're feeling really disconnected from hawk you can use owl instead but generally we think of hawk as the messenger of truth and so we'll be working with hawk um, about seeing our life clearly and and working with that energy so thank you so much for being with me and have a great june Thanks for listening to Centered with me, Angie Yankst. If you'd like to send me a question or comment about this show or any shows, 
you can send them to Angie at themooninstone.com. <laughs>